every Arizona homeowner's best friend. And it all has to do with you. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house. Your weekend wake-up tradition. Arizona. It is 8 o'clock. Rosie on the house. First Saturday of the month. So we have Farm Bureau in with us talking farm fresh commodities that are coming out of Arizona fields and ranches straight to your dinner plate or breakfast plate or lunch plate or snack plate, whatever the case may be. We've got spokeswoman Julie Murphy in with us. Good morning. Good morning, Romy. And happy Independence Day. Happy Independence Day. Because it's Independence Day, we also have Dr. Dean from Grand Canyon University in to talk about history, and he's going he's gonna to weave Independence Day history all through the broadcast, and if you listen and pay attention, at the end of each hour, we're going to use content from the hour, and if you can kind of fill in the blank via text, we're giving away American flags made in America by Valley Forge Company. Good morning. Right. Good morning. So hit us, hit us with the first little caveat, and then we'll get into our wow, one, one of my family's favorite farm commodities, pickle. Yes. Well, the, the main thing about the Independence Day is that we celebrate a day that not a lot happened, but some bureaucracy in Congress today, uh, where they approved the wording of the document that they eventually signed and sent off to the king and all that stuff. But today, was uh, John Adams thought it was kind of a, a letdown day that the real day we should have celebrated was July 2nd, the day that Congress actually declared independence. And then they had a couple of days to argue about the language and the wording and stuff, which uh, uh, is why we, we adopted the Declaration of Independence on this day. It's pretty incredible that they could go from rough draft to printed final version in two days. Handwritten. Handwritten. Very nicely, a cursive handwritten. <laughs> and, and this was a bunch of, and correct me if I'm wrong, like you always do, um, it, this, this is a bunch of Quakers that have been raised by the good book saying, pay unto Caesar what is Caesar's, uh, and they are basically throwing Caesar out the boat. Uh, uh, in a sense, <laughs> uh, not just Quaker upbringing, but their sensibilities, they were Englishmen. They were they weren't really thinking about uh, a revolution, a, a overthrow of the government when they started uh, this movement. Obviously, there was some conflict with the um, uh, Connecticut, uh, sorry, with Lexington and Concord. Um, but they actually came to this kind of moment when um, um, uh, the, the congressman from Virginia stood up and proposed, hey, we need to really be independent and that really got the wheels turning <laughs> kind of things, as opposed to trying to keep negotiating with Parliament and the king on how to administrate the colonies and all that kind of stuff. I think it's interesting all the things July 4th is not. Right. It's uh, not the day that they uh, signed the declaration. It's not the day that Thomas Jefferson penned the document. Uh, it's not the day that they sent it to England or that it was read in England. Um, it's the day that they adopted the final language, kind of a kind of a little denouement to the actual real declaration, which was July 2nd, when they said, yes, let's, let's revolt. <laughs> so... Hallelujah. Well, after my and, tour of Europe, I couldn't be more grateful for what they did. I'll tell you that right now. 
And if they hadn't, we wouldn't be able to sit here and talk about pickles, something that every American will eat an average of eight pounds each year. We, yes. We skew that. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, our pickles are the base for that is our uh, cucumbers, which commercially in Arizona, we don't grow them like we used to because we're missing one of the more significant, and this is his, history at play, um, companies that actually produce or would purchase from our Arizona farmers the cucumbers and then turn them into pickles. And anybody, for the most part of the 20th century, anyone riding a horse or driving a car with the windows down on the 1400 block of East Van Buren Street in downtown Phoenix <laughs> would encounter the distinct and savory aroma of pickles and olives. Can anybody tell me why? Oh, Since yeah. we're into trivia right now. That would be the Arnold Pickle and Olive Company, and it was started by William and Betsy Arnold, who moved to Arizona from Iowa in, in 1905. Uh, they launched their company in 1909, and it continued into the 1990s. So because of the Arnold Pickle Company, a lot of our Arizona farmers were growing them commercially for them. And so we've been local, even when local wasn't cool. I like to say that a lot because we don't realize that in our agriculture history here in Arizona, a lot of that began with a lot of these local farms and selling locally. So that's kind of the history that I'm hoping that we can chat about a little bit today. I don't actually have a farmer until the very end of this first hour segment. Stephanie Smallhouse, Arizona Farm Bureau's president, is going to come on. But I thought, you know what, since we're talking about pickles, it would be scandalous if we didn't mention the uh, pickle, the Arnold Pickle and Olive Company here in downtown Phoenix. It is, again, it don't, no longer exists, but it's so much history. In fact, one of the other fun things that I like to tell about this, several years ago I wrote about it and I put it on our Arizona Farm Bureau blog on azfb.org. In fact, if anybody goes to that site, all you have to do is literally just plug in into the search bar Arnold Pickle and this article will come up. But when they first launched in 1909, they used to, once they would make these vats of pickles and sauerkraut and all this other stuff, with a team and wagon, they delivered cured olives, horseradish, and sauerkraut. And the products were literally just ladled from the bulk containers into the housewives <laughs> or the customers' bowls. And the other cool thing that I love to tell people about this story is to sell their product to customers. And so this was direct-to-your-door delivery type of, you know, agriculture back in the early 1900s. So in order to deliver to the customers in the East Valley, they'd cross the Salt River using Hayden's Ferry. Now, that is a bit of trivia that most of us don't realize. When they were done with a day's worth of home-to-home -home selling, think of that, back in the day of the buggy, the wagon and the buggy, or the wagon and the horse, rather, they'd return empty with a successful day of selling their product and back at the riverbank. Uh, William, again, he was the founder. It was William and Betsy Arnold would put rocks in empty containers so they wouldn't float away. Then he'd swim the team and float the wagon, and this would save another 50 cents because he already had spent 50 cents crossing over. He wanted to save a little bit of money coming back. And the Hayden Ferry, I mean, this was because the river 
was still running before we had it dammed up. So you know, you drive across it on the Mill Avenue Bridge or Hayden Rule Bridge, but th- there used to be a ferry across that river. Yes. And most, a lot of these cucumbers were grown in Snowflake Taylor area, which ties in perfectly because our Arizona staycation is back and our winter is going to Snowflake Taylor this weekend to stay at the Heritage Inn. Well, after taking a break for a few months for obvious reasons, our Arizona staycation with Rosie on the house and Sanderson Ford is back. We have guests that are going to Taylor, Arizona, and a place that is no stranger to Rosie on the house staycations because we've been there before, the Heritage Inn Bed and Breakfast, Craig and Joanne Gruderian, who run the place. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. This is one of the oldest historic homes in Arizona. Well, uh, the house itself was built uh, in the 1890s. A beautiful brick of Victorian pioneer home. Yep, that's right. So when it comes to a stay at the Heritage Inn Bed and Breakfast, what would I be looking forward to? Well, what you'd be looking forward to is uh, a red brick building with white picket fences, green lawns, and lots of roses in the garden. A bit reminiscent of an English country garden. Even an English country house. <laughs> Joanne, I suspect you're not from Arizona originally, just based on no, the accent. <laughs> no, Texas. Okay. <laughs> Yeehaw. She's kidding, of course. Of course, absolutely, yeah. And how long have you had the Heritage Inn Bed and Breakfast? Well, we actually bought uh, the Bed and Breakfast 11 years and uh, five days ago. We just celebrated our 11th anniversary here. Wow, congratulations. That's great. That's really great. Yeah, it is. And then the uh, inside of the bed and breakfast, all the rooms have, you know, the antique style furniture as well. They all have their own bathroom, which some people, when they think of a bed and breakfast, they're like, ooh, we have to share a bathroom. No communal bathrooms. I love it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And how about the grounds around the home? We've got lots of uh, lawns and rose beds and apple trees and people can relax in the hammock and that we hang up underneath two apple trees so uh um, fountain in the courtyard i look at it as the perfect getaway if you've been working from home for months or you've been cooped up with the kids and all that and you just want to get out and relax this is the place to be yep it, it is and sometimes people they'll check in and they'll say well what is there to do in the area and i'm like well how about just relax and they try it And they're like, you know what? That was a good suggestion. (laughs) (laughs) Suddenly, two days go by just like that. Yep. But but the Petrified Forest is nearby. uh, Canyon Deche National Monument, um, too, as well. There's a lot to do, really, in the area. And then there's historical home tours, too, if anybody's interested in that. And, guys, if you're listening, there's the Municipal Golf Course in Snowflake, so you've got a chance to go hit 18. Actually, there's 27 holes there in Snowflake. Oh. Yeah, well, it's been 27 holes ever since we've been here. Ah, they did expand. They started at 9 and then 18, and then they added another 9. Do you play golf, Greg? Uh, yes, we both play golf. Oh, great. Have you tried all 27 holes in one day? <laughs> uh, probably not. I'm not Maybe. I don't know. That would be a long day. So for those that want to stay at the Heritage Inn, uh, what kind of safety features have you implemented? Naturally, the way we have our B&B set up, we naturally social distance people from each other. Uh, we don't make people sit all at one table for breakfast all at the same time. We, we separate people out. At this time of year, a lot of people eat out, outside. We don't really have a big lobby area, so people don't mingle. They tend to either just hang out by themselves outside or in their room or they're off doing something. Uh, we do take some extra precautions as far as the keys that we hand out uh, when they turn them in. Uh, we 
hit them with a peroxide mixture that we've uh, come up with that kills anything that might be on there. So, I mean, we expect people to be responsible for themselves and take care of themselves, really. So that's the Heritage Inn Bed and Breakfast in Taylor, Arizona, which is next to Snowflake. How about a phone number and website address? Okay, well, the phone number is 928-536-3322, and the website is heritage-in.net. It's a beautiful place, the Heritage Inn Bed and Breakfast. If you'd like to go on the next staycation with Rosie on the House, go to rosieonthehouse.com, look under the staycation tab, and register. On this Independence Day, we brought in a special guest, Dr. Dean, Grand Canyon University history professor. Sprinkle in tidbits and history facts about the 4th of July, why we celebrated the importance and uh, what it is, what it isn't. <clears throat> and if you pay attention, we're not going to give you an A grade at the end of it, but you're going to get an American-made American flag to fly over your home, castle, or cabin. Be paying attention and be ready at the end of each hour to call or text in, and we'll give kind of a, a fill-in-the-blank based on the the content of the hour provided by Dr. Dean. Well, you know, uh, Romy, one of the things that to kind of bring up is that the those that signed that Declaration of Independence and that generation, they really felt like they were in a pickle because of the, uh, as they were uh, uh, fighting against the uh, British rule, the way they were administrating the colonies. And the Declaration actually lays out 27 grievances from the king and the parliament about how it was affecting their lives, how they traded, how they did conducted businesses, uh, the troops being quartered. We hear the old taxation without representation, but that's the soundbite. There were other reasons that had been building for almost a generation— that brought them to that kind of moment. So it was a real, real dill of a day, I think. Yes, a real pickle. <laughs> well, and taxation with representation is still a pickle. Uh, yeah. That is, that is. It usually costs a lot of pickles. Maybe yeah. we should, a lot of pickles. Maybe we should pay Congress in pickles. Yeah. <laughs> and pickles were a big part of, uh, actually, the, our government at one point in World War II, over 40% of the pickles grown and uh, fermented. Yes, were, the cucumbers were yeah. sent to. Yeah, the cucumbers. The only use for a cucumber in my my <laughs> <laughs> pickles Except and relish sliced in a wonderfully fresh salad. Uh, <laughs> what a what a way to ruin a salad! Or to get the bags off your eyes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, that's true. In fact, uh, confirmation the impact even for the state of Arizona that it made is that the Arnold Pickle Company they really took off during World War II because of all the contracts four pickles for, uh, the, for the military, for the soldiers. It was one of the staples, so to speak, in what they ate. So uh, there's a lot of history and the Arnold pickle. I, I'm kind of sad that it no longer exists because there is so much history. But one of the ways that they extended it is Judy Blair, who mil- married the great-grandson of the Arnolds, uh, she launched... Because once they sold the plant, they had all of this pickle wood. Well, what are you going to do with all this pickle wood? She uh, solicited her husband. She goes, I want that wood for a fence. I want you to build it. Well, when they started putting that together and saw the beautiful grain, she realized we can do more with this. And she launched Judy's Rustic Collectibles Furniture Store right there in the old plant off of Van Buren. 
And I, you know, if she was here with us, I tried to talk her into joining us today, uh, but she had other plans. Um, she would have been able to tell us, but I think her company lasted for about 20 years. And I have one of those pieces of furniture in my home. And then mom has, um, or mom and dad in their home had a island made out of this pickle wood. And so it's like we have a piece of history in our homes. And it's because she had the foresight to take that wood that was in the, you know, originally pickle barrels and turn it into furniture and all sorts of other beautiful products. Growing up in Arizona through the 70s and the 80s, no matter whose home you went into, there was a jar of Arnold pickles in the pantry and there was a jar of Arnold pickles on the back patio making sun tea. Yeah. I mean, everybody had two one-gallon Arnold pickle jars. And we can always feel like when that existed, we had a connection with the farmers because uh, one of the farmers, he's still in leadership today with Arizona Farm Bureau, uh, Gerald Flake, he used to grow some of those pickles. Uh, about He said only 10 acres. To me, 10 acres is a lot of cucumbers to, to grow for the Arnold Pickle Company. But he, he told the same thing when... You know, I always had a jar of Arnold's pickles, and they remember when they were deliver uh, to the plant, you could smell the pickles. So it's just a really neat piece of history. And even though we don't grow them commercially in Arizona like we used to, every direct market farmer, retail farmer here in the state of Arizona, they're growing cucumbers. So uh, while we may not make them as tasty as Arnold Pickle Company, I, I think some of the things that we can do with our cucumbers today are just as fresh and uh, wonderfully tasty as they were back then. They even have a little jingle, by the way. Don't ask me to sing. I want to keep my day job. But uh, most people that were familiar with Arnold's Pickles, the jingle went something like, I like Arnold's Pickles. You'll like Arnold's too. The only thing that's better than an Arnold Arnold Pickle is two. (laughs) I I can feel the income of that. (laughs) The only thing better is two. And on this Independence Day on average... Uh, Dr. Dean was sharing a fact during the news <clears throat> commercial break. Americans will eat enough hot dogs that if you line them up end to end, it could go from New York to L.A. and back five times. 150 how, million hot dogs today. How many pounds today? of relish yes. today? Um, will well, go on top of those hot dogs? What, about four to six ounces of relish <laughs> times uh, 150 million? But uh, make that ounces... Uh, math i didn't do history (laughs) (laughs) well i tell you what we'd like all of you to make sure you're flying old glory while you're listening to the show this morning step out step up it's america happy birthday Beautiful Independence Day to you all. Welcome. Thank you for tuning in with us. It's Rosie on the house. Had a call during the break. A gentleman wanting to know if the Olive Grove that used to be on 28th Street in Indian School was owned by Olive, the Arnold Olive and Pickle Company. We don't know the ownership, but there's a good chance uh, if you're that close, because they were on Van Buren. Correct. 1400 block of Van Buren. You would certainly think that would be the most economic place to take your olives for, to harvest instead of shipping them somewhere else to be 
permitted and processed. So there's there's a good chance they were a contract employee. And he has a fond memory of that olive orchard that's no longer there because that was that was an escape route for their mischief. <laughs> And, you know, what I would uh, theorize, and I bet all of the farmer fans that listen to the show on a weekly basis would probably be able to call in and tell you who owned it, because most of what the Arnolds did, and this was very typical with any of your quote-unquote processors in the food supply chain, they'd contract with the farmers. It's like I mentioned earlier, one of the farmers that I hunted down that actually contracted with the Arnold family to deliver cucumbers on a regular basis was the Flake family. And they did the 10 acres of the uh, cucumbers that they'd sell. And the whole entire, and we've made reference to them already, T- Taylor had a lot of the farmers that were growing the cucumbers. And why that location? Because a lot of that production was done during the summer. Um, it was a short season, but it was a very intense season. And so Arnold would contract with these local Arizona farmers, and they'd that's how they uh, were able to say these are true blue Arizona pickles grown here in this glorious state of Arizona. And that's because we don't have that level of production, at least with Arnold Pickle Company, because they're no longer in existence. Like I uh, mentioned earlier, a lot of our retail direct market farmers are growing cucumbers and not some of the typical traditional, a lot of varieties. I forget. uh, We've done some fun food facts about cucumbers on our fill your plate website that Arizona Farm Bureau hosts. And so maybe it's mentioned there, but there's a huge variety of cucumbers that of course you can ferment or pickle and also put in wonderful salads. But um, our commercial production here in the state of Arizona with cucumbers is not as large as it used to be. And probably one of the biggest reasons is we no longer have Arnold's Pickled Company. That's right. Driving the supply chain. Yeah. Driving the demand chain. Yep. Exactly. And because most people associate cucumbers and vegetables, we assume pickles are a, are a vegetable. And with you and Dr. Dean in together, maybe we can determine why why would it take the U.S. Supreme Court to make a ruling that they're technically fruit? Why, why would you need to get the U.S. Supreme Court involved in determining whether a pickle is a vegetable or a fruit? And that's not the only time they had to make a similar ruling to a tomato. Yeah, in fact, I think the tomato drove that one. (laughs) Smashed a bunch of tomatoes. Come on. That's that's what we need to spend our taxpayers' money on. Get that Supreme Court to work for us. Yes, to declare it. Well, come on. I bet you know that one, Romy. Hmm. The one about why. And it is a Supreme Court ruling. It had to do with tomatoes. And I think it was dealing with just the distribution you know, my uh, ag education director in, at Arizona Farm Bureau could probably tell us right off the top of her head, um, Katie Akins. But there was actually a Supreme Court ruling dealing with that. You know, back to our production with cucumbers, since that's our commodity topic this this week. Uh, at their peak of production, the Arnold Pickle Company was producing around 5,000 tons of pickles a year at their peak. And Arnold's Pickles remained in business into the early 1990s when it was sold to another food company. So there you have it. That's why they had to contract with a lot of farmers in Arizona to grow the cucumbers. And uh, another little bit of trivia that we were talking about uh, during the commercial break was they actually paid more for the smaller cucumbers than the larger cucumbers. Any idea why that might be? 
Well, I think both the Supreme Court case and that uh, is how it's uh, based on taxes and tariffs. Um, and so the Supreme Court ruling of Nix versus Head and, uh, and uh, was against the Tariff Act of 1883 that was classifying tomatoes and different things as fruit or vegetables. And so rather than using the botanical scientific definition, they were using this other definition in order to um, accommodate the tax laws or the, the customs laws for um, that kind of purposes. Interesting. But Follow I'm still... the money. The complexity of our fruits and vegetables. So why do you think Arnold's was willing to pay more for the smaller pickle than the, or the smaller cucumber rather the larger than the larger cucumber? Maybe when you, you could ferment them faster. Yeah. (laughs) No, it's the whole supply and demand. There was a very high demand for the smaller sweet pickles that they produced. And so they, when they contracted with the farmer, if, and it's a labor intensive, at least back then it was, to harvest and cucumbers. Obviously, if our farmers here in Arizona who are so good at what they do, uh, they grow fast. So if they could harvest quicker and get the smaller pickles, they'd get a better price for it. So that's one of the reasons why. And to this day, a lot of people favor the smaller sweet pickle than the larger dill or sour pickle that does make a lot of sense when you picture those little tiny sweet pickles how long does it take to pick 10 of those oh my gosh versus yeah. 10 you know yeah. those slice those long slice spear type ones you get uh the farmer Gerald gerald flake told me that when they were in the peak of harvest season they would harvest a third of the field and the next day the other third 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 and then after three days they would just start all over and that's one of the reasons why they personally kept it to just the twin acres which which to me 10 acres is a lot of pickles to harvest he he still considered it kind of small but it was just constant once you were ready to harvest those pickles pickles just as an aside the supreme court also decided in uh robertson versus solomon that a bean is technically a vegetable also but it is a botanically a seed and that clarified the cucumber also just well, so you there know. you go. <laughs> now, that's why you tune into Rosie on the House every Saturday morning. Dr. Dean, tell us about Thomas Paine's Common Sense. So Thomas Paine's Common Sense was a, um, a pamphlet that he wrote uh, trying to kind of stir people to action. Uh, we today would probably call it a blog or uh, a social media type thing. Uh, as the printing press distributed these ideas about revolution, I remember a lot of people were kind of indifferent to it. Only a third really a third of the colonists were really in favor of some sort of radical change. And another third were really, really staunchly loyalist or staunchly English people and wanted to kind of keep things the status quo. And then you have this third in the middle that were kind of like, well, I'll go along with it if it's good for me, but I'm not going to go along with it if it's bad for me. You know, uh, they're kind of hedging their bets one way or the other. And so Thomas Paine's pamphlet, uh, Common Sense, was one of the, the, the ideological arguments to kind of nudge people over the edge. And it really helped formulate some of the um, arguments made during the uh, debates uh, between June and uh, July 2nd over this conversation about should we declare our independence or not? He was quite the communicator when you think about it. And he didn't even have the benefits of today's tools. No, I, I, the printing press was the, was the, the way of the day. Um, but, uh, you know, 
they those kind of pamphlets were circulated. If people were illiterate, they were read in local pubs and alehouses and gathering places. And so the message got out and people were started to kind of change their minds about those things. Um, but today he would have been a blogger, probably had a YouTube channel and, um, you know, a million likes and that kind of stuff. Yes. <laughs> His own reality TV show and, you know, a, a guest on, you know, America's well, Got Talent or something. Life's like a Pain <laughs> is the name of the channel. Yeah. I like that one. <laughs> well, he certainly did stir things up. Mm-hmm. It's a great document if you've never read it. Right, it's uh, it's not that long of a read either. No. Um, it uh, it just lays out a very uh, 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 strong case for this immediate separation from the king and from parliament. That we have this habit of self government. We can do these things. What do we need them for? You know, kind of a thing. It's the common sense. Well, we're celebrating July Fourth this weekend by helping y'all realize what July 4th is and what it isn't. Uh, actually, there, were, there was a, a strong contingent of people that felt like July 2nd should be Independence Day. Yeah, John Adams, because um, if you think about it, you celebrate the Declaration Day, and that was the day that Congress got the draft from Thomas Jefferson and the others on the committee, uh, Benjamin Franklin and uh, Robert Livingston and Robert Sherman and others. And in fact, uh, the guy that originally had proposed the whole idea, he actually had to go home, Virginia Congressman Robert Henry Lee, he had to go home and take care of an illness in the family. So he actually couldn't be part of this. Uh, so they put down together this committee, and um, the committee brought forward the draft in with those 27 grievances and the preamble that we know, uh, brought that forward on uh, July 2nd. And so when they adopted it, yes, Congress made the decision. We are going to declare our independence. And John Adams wrote his wife and said, you know, this is going to be a day that we're going to celebrate for generations. We're going to have parades and we're going to shoot off guns and have picnics and shows and all this kind of stuff. And he was so disappointed that July 4th became the popularizing day a celebration because that was on the broadsides that were circulated. That was on the date they actually adopted the language and whatnot. That he refused to go to any July Fourth celebrations he was invited to. <laughs> I love because he thought that. it should have been the second, so, two been days the second. earlier. Uh huh. So what he, were his just, parties like on the second? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> well, he just stayed home and ate pickles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Arnold's pick. Well, no, it's a little bit have, earlier than that. Have you ever Adam's tried pickles. fermenting cucumbers? I mean, we we pepper ferment okra hot peppered okra have you ever tried fermenting a, a pickle a cucumber you know it didn't go well yeah <laughs> and it's it's a process and when you can go to a smart and final and get dave's yes. spicy pickles <laughs> yeah. whether they're the s- sliced or, or squared however oh man those have you ever had famous dave's spicy pickles i have not, not. the flaming hot because it's but just the spicy and you don't taste it right away, but when you're when you're done chewing it and you swallow it, there, there's that little after effect <laughs> hint of that little spice, and they are a life changer. And so follow it on, up with a little bite of rib too to go ooh, with it. Oh yeah, man. So on Monday, fill your plate. Arizona Farm Bureau's uh, consumer facing website releases a recipe and a story on how to ferment pickles. Okay. And it's from Blue Sky Farms, one okay, of our yeah. local farmers here. So. For our listeners, watch for that. It releases. It's actually going to be on the blog, and we're releasing that on Monday. And they're actually proposing that you use a different cucumber. I forget the the 
variety. I'm going to have to wait for the article to come out. But um, they have a whole tip on how you ferment pickles and obviously must ferment them well. Otherwise, we wouldn't be posting it as a blog and a recipe on Fill Your Plate. Well, that once it's pickled, it must keep a long time. Yes. Because I can remember the Arnold Pickle gallon bought jars in our pantry. And even even in our big family. But, I mean, still, it, it could take a month or six weeks to kind of work our way through that gallon. You know, Dr. Dean, I mean, pickles, it's perfect that we're talking about this on Independence Day because on a 4th of July picnic party, we've always got the watermelon, we've always got the hot dogs or hamburgers, and... I think we're missing something if we don't have some pickles. I, so, well, and to be honest, you have, we have to be careful about summertime heat and foods and those kind of things. President Zachary Taylor went to a Fourth of July celebration <laughs> in Washington <laughs> D.C. in the heat of summer. Had some bad. I, I don't think the Supreme Court had ruled yet whether it was a fruit or <laughs> vegetable. vegetable. Um, but he had had uh, something that had spoiled uh, and got a, a really bad stomach ache and died a couple days later so we have to be very careful about what we uh, eat yeah so (laughs) food safety is another issue with our farmers here we stress that all the time (laughs) and i would imagine that fermenting uh cucumbers into pickles is a lot short of a process than fermenting a revolution all right welcome back arizona homeowners we want y'all flying your flag today. We want you flying your flag every day. If you don't have a flag, we have a very, very nice American-made flag and flagpole available on our website, rosieonthehouse.com. We're actually going to be giving one away each hour of today's show with a trivia question based on the content being provided by Assistant Professor of History, Dr. David Dean from Grand Canyon University, who's actually going to join us for the entire three hours of today. And when in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another. Yes, it goes on to say uh, uh, that the laws of nature and the laws of God entitle them. A decent respect to the opinions of their mankind requires that they should declare the causes of their separation. That's how the Bible-believing Quakers of the time justified it. It was God that gave them the right to do this uh well that that enlightenment kind of world uh the rights of that john locke would talk about uh the rights of life liberty and uh property or is jefferson's words the pursuit of happiness which is the pursuit of pickles i would think yes yeah absolutely (laughs) arizona pickles arizona cucumbers (laughs) julie murphy from arizona farm bureau in this morning giving us a history lesson on pickles in arizona yes we were trying to get Stephanie on. Did, Romy, were we able to get her on? No, we've got this new phone system. Oh, shoot. So, okay. So, I'm try her again. So, he's going to try. Stephanie Smallhouse is our president with Arizona Farm Bureau, and uh, she was going to talk to us a little bit. They, I'll, I'll speak for her. Her, to her a cer- farm is over in Sierra Vista? It, it's um, off no. of, uh, it's in Pima County, uh, southeast of Tucson. Or yeah, southeast of Tucson. Oh, okay. Yeah, and um, in fact, one of the things that we were going to talk about uh, a little bit, if we can get her in, was Arizona Farm Bureau launching in November. We'll be celebrating our 100th year. Arizona Farm Bureau's been in existence for that long, believe it or not. We even have a farm family. We're trying to trace some of the details of this that have been involved 
generationally, obviously, with the Arizona Farm Bureau for that 100 years. Wow. It happens to be the Flake family that I mentioned earlier. Oh, it does. So uh, because we're talking so much history, and of course, Arizona Farm Bureau's history is a lot, we're a lot younger than America's history, but uh, the significance of the Arizona Farm Bureau and its founding in uh, 1921 was the fact that it was formed to support our farm and ranch families. Uh, we advocate, we actually are a 501c5, and so we're able to lobby. Uh, we advocate, we educate, uh, there's a lot of things we do. And then in my role, um, we do a lot of outreach and engagement with the public so we can keep them connected. You know, we're three and four generations removed from the farm. And um, Stephanie was gonna talk a little bit about that. She's and, on, Steph. And she's on, and as we bring her on, Yes. For our first American-made flag by Valley Forge giveaway for the listeners. Yes. This is a text question, 411-923. If you, it's a fill in the answer. If you, if George Costanza had taken his Festivus poll to the King of Britain, how many grievances would he have had? That's a great question. How many grievances? They're enumerated in the Declaration of Independence. If you know that number, text it to 411-923, and we'll pick a random right winner during the top of the hour news, and that'll be our first flag. Yes, uh, Stephanie Smallhouse, Arizona Farm Bureau President, thank you for joining us. Um, talk to Good us morning, everybody. Yes, talk to us a little bit about the Centennial, Arizona Farm Bureau Centennial. Sure. I, I want to comment on pickles, though, real quick, because I've been listening all about pickles, and, you know, one thing you guys didn't mention was... Uh, you know, cinnamon pickles. I don't know if you guys have ever had the cinnamon, sweet cinnamon pickles or the mint pickles, but I grew up going to Baptist potlucks when I was a kid, and uh, my mom and all of her friends make cinnamon pickles with cinnamon red hots. Anyway, they're super good. Awesome. And the, and the other good thing is uh, pickle juice. My husband is a, uh, is a senior pro or expert or whatever dirt bike racer, racer, and he has always used pickle juice for muscle cramps. So anyway, just couple of interesting facts I thought I'd add and, to the conversation. I and love it. one of those health facts sailors used to uh, keep pickles to keep scurry, uh, fight off yes. the, the scurry. Yep. Yeah. See? So just fascinating, fascinating little uh, little condiment there. Yes. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, um, Arizona Farm Bureau, we're starting the kickoff to our 100-year celebration. Um, that'll be coming up this fall. And Julie talked a little bit about Farm Bureau roots, but, you know, a lot of... Uh, Farm Bureau started around uh, the around World War One. Basically, we were a little we were a little late here in Arizona, but um, you know we were we're a little bit late to everything sometimes. But <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but anyway, World War One um, Farm Bureau kind of started overall because of the first World War. The price of food at that time um, jumped about a hundred percent, which was not good for for American citizens, but uh, or for other countries. We were shipping so much food over overseas that the president started price fixing wheat. And so farmers were certainly patriotic and wanted to help out with the war effort, but they felt like they didn't have a voice in any of the planning for how that was going to affect them. And so along with that, railroad monopolies and the start of our insurance, that's kind of where we got our start. So, That's awesome. Thank you, Steph. She's had a very fascinating year yes, in, in her has. position, hasn't she? She has. Uh, she's our first female president. That's awesome.